Welcome to the Outsiders Podcast, where we discuss race, justice, and Jesus. I am Tyler France, along with my brother, good friend, and uh, co-host to this podcast, Neil Sandlin. What's good, brother? What is going on, my friend? I am uh, glad to be back. Yes. Uh, another episode. Episode, you know, it's, it's always weird to me when I look at the number of the episode that we've done. Yeah. Uh, we are on season two, mm-hmm. episode uh, twenty-four total. Twenty-four in two seasons. So I am very, very excited um, about continuing this. Yep. Um, just to continue to hear the 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 comments from people and the right. um, interactions. I got one Sunday at church. Somebody um, thanked me, yeah, and just said they loved uh, hearing the history of things mm-hmm. and the the diversity of how. Uh, television and music and sports yeah. and what that's meant. So um, continuing to love to do this podcast and just can hope that it's continuing to be a blessing to people for sure. Yeah, for sure. For sure. But we want to do a heart check to yep. start off with, right, before we even get into the topic. And uh, I thought it, it would be appropriate for us to discuss the uh, nomination and now confirmation yeah. of Katanji Brown Jackson. She mm-hmm. is now a Supreme Court justice Um she has been sworn in already, right? Yeah, yeah. I think I think it is official. It happened, and this has caused people. We need, we need to get sound effects to lose like their mind. Applause, yeah, like applause and, like and clapping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah we need to get... um, this has caused people to. Uh, I know this is going to be a shock, Tyler. People have fought over this. <laughs> people have fought over this. Really? And uh, is she is she people fight suitable for the position? Should she right. be the position? Yeah. Uh, it's got nothing to do with her race or being a woman, but, yeah. um, is she qualified? Is she qualified? All, all right. I mean, just all this kind of stuff kind of gets thrown out there. And, 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 and I want to say a few things about it that I've kind of been wrestling in my mind with. Yeah. Um, number one, the excitement mm. of the black community mm-hmm. to have a black woman yeah. on the Supreme court, has been an amazing thing to watch. Right. Um, this is a historical moment in our nation. Um, we, we've had a few of those over the last few years. First black president in 2008, uh, first vice, a black vice president female, and now a female black Supreme Court justice. Mm-hmm. A, a lot of first for blacks that um, is a wonderful, good uh, thing that we should be excited about, absolutely. Regardless of whether you think she is the right pick or right. not, whether you agree with her, yeah, her whether you agree with her stances else. or how she's judged things, or right. the fact that we are in this place in our nation where the where where where, where these positions are being filled now yeah. with by black people and African Americans. This yeah. is a a good thing. This is the first time in our history that the Supreme Court will not be a majority white male population. Think about that. In the history of our nation, this is the first time that it is not a white male-dominated court. And and that's a beautiful thing. Yeah, absolutely. I I understand the argument of whether or not she should be the the next person on mm-hmm. was she the best pick was right. she uh, morally the best was right. she and and the truth is i i don't i don't know her yeah right. <laughs> you know i i don't know her morals and neither do they <laughs> uh, yeah we we try to go based on her record right. Un- unfortunately where we live today politics yeah. is that that record is always uh a spin's always put on it right. for whatever position you hold to mm-hmm. make her look as good as possible or as bad as possible. Yep. But but I want to I want to do one thing about her qualifications. 
Because you cannot really argue from a judicial point of view whether or not she was qualified. Right. So the New York City Bar Association, this is a bar association that has been around for a very, very long time. Uh, They have actually, for the last 150 years, they have been a nonpartisan manner of judging the merits and the competency of the judges that were nominated, right. Supreme Court or otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, what they've done over the, the last few years, in 19, uh, beginning in 1987, they began to evaluate every single candidate nominated for the Supreme Court. Mm. So this is a, a, a nonpartisan group that basically just looks at the judicial requirements for this position and says, is Whether this position... Yeah, are they qualified for this position? So here's what they've said uh, about Judge Jackson. They said that she possesses, to an exceptionally high degree, all of the qualifications enumerated in the guidelines established established by the city bar for considering nominees to the Supreme Court of the United States. She is, number one, exceptional legal ability. Number two, extensive experience and knowledge of the law. Three, outstanding intellectual and analytical talents. Four, maturity of judgment and common sense. Five, unquestionable integrity and and independence. And six, a temperament appropriate to be a justice of the Supreme Court. There you go. So they, what they do is they have three different categories you could fall in. They have not qualified, they have qualified, and they have highly qualified. Mm. Again, this isn't a political... Right. Bipartisan. This this is a right. this is a a group that says are they qualified judicially? And she received the highly qualified status. Wow. So we are not arguing here really about is she qualified judicially. Right. The argument is do we agree with how she rules on stuff? Yeah. Um. And honestly, we'll argue about that until she's no longer Supreme Court justice. Right. Just like we've done with people that have got in there and we, some people had high hopes for them and then they weren't happy with the way they judge things. Yep. That's going to be an ongoing continual dialogue that the country will have. So what, what I, what's kind of, I've kind of been wrestling with in my own heart is to say, okay, is she judicially qualified? Yes. So Joe Biden, our president was right to nominate her. He didn't nominate an unqualified person. Right. Uh, And then I, and I'll 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 deal with her judgments. Like when she yeah. d- does something I don't agree with, I'll say it and yeah. I'll make it known. But I also want to celebrate what her confirmation means to the Supreme Court of the United States. What it says about where we're headed yeah. and where we can go when it comes to race. And that's one of the things that we have tried to do, Tyler, on this podcast is that we're not one. We we don't want to to paint doom and gloom for the future of America. We believe in Jesus. We believe in transformation. We believe that change happens. And so we're not here saying, you know, things will in race relations are always going to be what they are and are never going to change. No, we, we are thankful for where we are and we continue to want to push things to change. And so I recognize progress. Yes. And we, and we celebrate when progress is made. Right. And, and so most of the time in conversations in this nation, Mm -hmm. there's a nuance to them. Yeah. But that doesn't work in the political sphere. That doesn't work on television. That doesn't work on radio. That doesn't work 
what we've got to do is we we can't have nuanced conversations. We need divisive conversations mm-hmm. so people can pick their side. Mm-hmm. What I'm saying is is that there may may be a position here held by Christians that is a wise, nuanced position yeah, yeah. that says, I may not agree with all of her positions and stances and the way that she's judged things, but this is a woman who is judicially qualified right. and at the same time say, we think it's pretty remarkable and worthy of admiration yeah. that a black woman is now on the Supreme Court for the very first time. Absolutely. And um, recognizing That's that. That's a dream come true for a it lot. It is. It's a dream community. come true for a lot of people. Yeah. And recognizing this means we're not colorblind. Yeah. Like recognizing the right. fact that this is a black woman means we recognize that she is a woman of color. Yeah. And that's kind of what we're going to be talking about today because there's a lot of people, Tyler, who argue that the way to deal with racism and the way to cure racism in this nation is to be colorblind and not talk about it. Yep. So I think we ought to dig into that today. This is episode 24, I believe, and yep. it's called Can Being Colorblind Cure Racism? Good question. Uh, in 2005, actor Morgan Freeman. Morgan Freeman. That's a horrible <laughs> impression. Best, <laughs> that's a horrible impression. One of the best voices in the oh, business. Uh, had an interview with Mike Wallace where they discussed race issues. Yeah. Uh, this was my first time hearing the argument of colorblindness, mm-hmm. apart from the generic, you know, family and friends. Like, right. I don't see color statements. Right. Yeah, me too. Um, Freeman said that in this interview. To get rid of racism, we must stop talking about it. Mm. Uh, he goes on to say he doesn't want a Black History Month, asking Mike when White History Month is. Uh, he then says that he doesn't want to be referred to as a black man and that he doesn't want to refer to the interviewer as a white man. Now, you look at the comments of this, and, and so many people are like, amen, that's right, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and honestly, when I first heard this, I, I didn't. Fully disagree. Uh, right. it, it was a little weird that he said, stop talking about it. I felt like that was a little yeah. elementary. Right. Um, but but the seemingly pure intention behind not labeling someone by their ethnicity or skin color seemed like a noble solution to me. Yeah, and, um, and I, I think, Tyler, it's important for the people listening to this. If you come to this podcast and you say, well, that's kind of how I've functioned. Yeah. Um, I want you to know it's actual what you just said right there is so good. It actually is a is a seemingly noble, noble solution. solution. Right. It it probably comes from a good heart. Yeah. Right. It probably comes from a good place. I don't mean right. good heart in spiritual terms, but from a good place. Right. Right. And so we're not here to bash it as like, well, if you've thought this, you're wicked and evil. We're we're simply saying it's probably a little naive yeah. be, because if this country had no history. Right. Of racism. This would be perfect. Then this colorblindness would be wouldn't be a problem because right. racism wouldn't be a problem. Yep. Um, and so I, I just wanted I just wanted to say that it seems on the surface to be pure intentioned and it seems like a noble solution. Yeah. And I, I want to commend people from that good place that it's coming from. Mm-hmm. While at the same st- same time, ask the question, okay, but is it the best place to come from? Right. You know what I mean? And as I grew up, I, I and kind of learned more and studied 
more about these issues, you know, my mind's completely changed. Right. I, I think it's kind of a, a, right. a not so great idea. Yeah, your answer would be <laughs> yes, there are other ways to deal with it better. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And I'm going to dig deep into that. Yeah. Uh, I, I no longer feel that colorblindness is helpful. I don't think it's effective. And, and I really don't feel like it's loving. Um, right. And again, that's not to say that somebody who wants to be colorblind doesn't love people. I'm not saying that. Right. I'm They're just attempting saying, to. Right. Um, some of them are. Yeah. Uh, so before we dive into why I think colorblindness is not the answer to combat racism, I just want to take the word blindness in its most basic definition. Neil, if you are blind, that means you cannot see. It means that there's a world that you cannot fully experience because your blindness prevents it. Right. Uh, it's a limiting disability that robs its victims. And, and most of the time it speaks to a loss of vision mm. that you used to possess. So blindness, by and large, is, is a negative thing. It's not something right. we should strive for. Right. Um, it, it, colorblindness is the same. By striving to be colorblind, we're shutting down our senses and missing out on the beauty that mm -hmm. is diversity. Right. We, you know, we talk a lot on this podcast about uh, our differences, how our differences should unite us right. and strengthen us and uh, not do the opposite, which is divide right. and weaken. And, and that seems to be what our culture really holds on to is that us versus them mentality. Right. And that's why we always say Christians can do it better. Yeah. Amen. Uh, the beauty that can be discovered in our differences, though, points to the creativity and masterful plan of our creator. Absolutely, we have a we have a a creative um, God who has created things with so much diversity. Yeah, like just look around at people, at animals, at right, at flowers. At, I mean, yeah. just look around, and we see a creative God. Yeah, the same kind of feeling we get from uh, you know looking at nature and seeing mm -hmm. the beauty and div divine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, nature, creativity, like yeah. we can get that from looking at different cultures as well and, and seeing. Right. So, you know, God made us in his in his likeness and his image, uh, yet he still made us different. Right. He, he still saw fit to give us different cultures and allow us the freedom to glorify him through those cultures and ethnicities and practices. And, and like those differences, uh, acting like those differences don't exist mm -hmm. robs us. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's not... A yeah, good thing. Yeah, you know? it, ro it robs it's it robs us, and it it really robs the glory of God. Yeah, because of the beauty and in, in the diversity that He has done, um, and what He wants us to experience in life. Right, like that's what He wants from us. Yeah. So through that lens, talking about color blindness, oh, yep. look at that. Let's go back to that interview. Uh, Freeman's first point Morgan to a solution of racism. Don't do that again. Uh, <laughs> Freeman's first point to a solution of racism is let's not talk about right. it. Right. Let's not talk about it. So let's imagine for a second that the great abolitionists and or civil rights leaders took that advice. Nothing would have gotten done. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like no change would have happened. Right. Uh, I'm pretty sure that if, if you said that to Morgan Freeman, he would probably agree. He wouldn't be like, mm -hmm. well, no, they should probably not speak about it either. Uh, he would say that the abolitionists didn't have that luxury and they would have to discuss race. Uh, but maybe the argument for today is we are under different and better circumstances. We talked about progress. Right. Um, so not discussing it should solve the problems. Mm -hmm. uh, while the fact that there has been progress in this area is true, Sure. I don't think we understand the message that this kind of thinking and rhetoric can send to people who are truly suffering, who do experience racism or injustices, or who feel unequal or discriminated against. Right. 
it sends this message that your suffering is not as bad as those before you. Mm-hmm. So she, you just shouldn't talk about it. Right. Or it's not severe enough for uh, for us to care, honestly. Right. Or you're re- overreacting. Yeah. Um, and, and that's not loving. And so whether we agree that there is a systemic issue with race or not, uh, we must acknowledge that racism and racial bias still exist. And, racism and still is... It, it still exists. Yeah, let, let me uh, put it in this, these terms or ask the question this way. Is there any sin in the United States of America that we are not participating in? As no. A, we could probably point to every sin yeah. that there is in the world and say Checks we have American citizens yeah. doing it. <laughs> right. All yeah. right? So we know that every sin is being perpetrated in this nation. Yep. Now, do we believe that the way to address any of those sins in this nation is to just not talk about it? Close our eyes to it. Yeah. See, I don't no. think we say I don't think we would say that with any other thing in this nation. We right. wouldn't say it with stealing right. or murdering right. or coveting mm-hmm. or or abuse. Mm-hmm. We would never look at that and say the best way to deal with it is not to deal with it. Right. And it will just go away. Right. We know that sin has That's not even the nature of sin. That's not the way sin no, works. Sin, sin gets doesn't worse. Work that way. It bubbles up and yep. it is yeah. just going to get worse. Right. So the way to deal with sin is to address it. Right. And I, I find it so interesting that we will say that and admit that with every other sin. Yeah. But then it comes to racism, we say no colorblind. Yeah. Let's not let's let's act point. like race isn't a thing. Yeah. Let's let's act like racism is not a big deal. And and then maybe we'll it'll just it it doesn't make sense from a theological standpoint, right? And what yep. you said is so true. You may we can argue about the rate of right. it, but we gotta all admit it's still there. Yeah. I mean, that's like saying, well, you know, I mean, uh, uh, car thefts have gone down, uh, so they're not as bad as they used to be. So why do we got to keep talking about the ones that get stolen today? Yeah, right. Like, right. Why, like we just shouldn't even we shouldn't even address that anymore. Yeah, of course we should. My car got <laughs> stolen. Yeah, I know that. Yeah. not as many cars got stolen, but my car got stolen. Let's address it. Right. And that's what we have to do with every sin. Yeah. And racism is just like the rest of them, and that's yeah. what we, uh, as the body of Christ, have to do. Yeah. And so, if racism still exists then uh, let, let's factor in that some of those people that are racist are, you know, they hold power. Yeah. They, they hold offices and places of authority and power that affect systems. Absolutely. Uh, so we can probably acknowledge altogether without getting too, you know, far as a certain way um, that racism creeps into systems. Yeah. Right? Racist people. Yeah. It exists have in systems. people and those people... Are in control of systems, <laughs> so yep. we have issues. Yeah, and so um, in, in this, how that fl- fleshes out politically, we're not going to discuss here. Right. But but going back to the earlier point, it does exist, and yeah. acting like we're blind to it is not an effective tactic to combat it, or or a biblical tactic, or a biblical. Uh, so what I think Freeman is missing about race is that we have to talk about it. Yeah. Man, we, we have to talk about it because even if pure intention people stop seeing race, racist people won't. Right. And they'll continue to discriminate and cause injustices. Right. So uh, this brings me to my next point here. So some people, 
and we know this, some people are just evil. Right. Some people hate people because of the color of their skin. Right. And apart from the Holy Spirit doing a work in their hearts and minds, they will live and die with that hatred. What did, what did we call that? We called that overt racism yeah. in one of our former podcasts. Right. An overt racist. Those people right. do exist. Yep. However, I do not think that that is the majority. I don't no. think most people are overtly racist. No. I think the majority of racism we experience, especially in America, is ignorance. You're right. Right. Uh, yeah, and that, not negatively. Like, you yeah, know, you're an ignorant fool. No, we're right. just saying no. we don't know. Yeah, I think it's a lack of understanding of other sure. races. Sure. You know, not to downgrade its severity because it's still horrible. Yeah, honestly, and, oh, and yeah. it sometimes can be even more hurtful when then overt racism. Right, right. Like, it, because a lot of times you don't hate those people, so you have friends that are those people. Yeah, but your ignorance. Right, they don't feel like those you're people an ally see it, and then they don't feel them. like you're with them. Yeah. So, um, so anyways, I, I think that overt racism is harder to fix, but ignorance can be fixed. Yeah, that yeah. can be fixed. So racism doesn't go away if we close our eyes, cover our ears, sing over injustices. Right. Actually, the opposite. I know, and I, I like I know you have, and I've seen this. I have seen racist ideas that have been ingrained in people from birth lose their power when people get educated on these issues. Mm-hmm. Education is one of the best things we can do to combat racism. Right. Which means that we have to ex- kind of expose ourselves to these topics, yeah. right? Yeah, like, absolutely. Um, so, colorblindness does little to change it, but a willing heart, a listening ear, and a decent work ethic can change everything. And I've said this before, and I'll say it again. Um and you referenced it, but if if we let, let's just think logically here, if we believe racism still exists today, mm-hmm. and there are there are racial injustices still alive today, how have we combated that in the past that has worked? Mm-hmm. And we have never seen in the history of this nation colorblindness be an effective tool. Yeah. To get rid of racism. Right. When we look back, we're like, no, they dealt with it in slavery times by talking about it. Yep. They dealt with it in the civil rights era by talking about it. Right. And and so we have a history of knowing what works. Yeah. And colorblindness is not has not been the effective tool. Yeah. It has been an education. Um, people ch- challenging their own hearts, looking at themselves in the mirror, saying, what can I do better? That's what has changed things. Well, even, I mean, education on on like if you, if you think about like the abolitionist movement, they got educated on what was truly happening, right? Because a lot of times they would probably be softened. Yeah, you know what I mean. Or but then out of sight, out of mind. Really, in some places, see what's happening. Right. You're like, oh no, this is horrible. Like, right. how did we let this slide? <laughs> yeah. You know. And right. so even that is education, and that's not covering your eyes and saying, I don't care how bad it is, or I like even if it, you know. Right. So yeah, we just got to be careful yeah. with that for sure. And again, going back to my analogy, there is no sin that yeah. we could be blind to, yeah, and it just go away. Yeah, it's not the way sin works. No. Now, I'd like to offer up some advice. Um, I told you I'm not going to get too into politics on this episode, and I meant it. Uh, but what I will say is, please, 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 do not let your political affiliation dictate whether or not you learn and get educated on race. Right. Um, 
learning about racial issues is not a Democrat thing. It's yeah. not a Republican thing. Right. It's not a woke thing. It's a wise thing, and that mm-hmm. is a biblical thing. So right. our, our next podcast episode, we're going to be tackling the word woke. Yeah. And we talked about that today a little bit and how it is misused today. But today, what I want to caution all of us with is to not label these issues as a left or right wing stance. Right. Yep. Rather, let's just approach these topics with the heart that Jesus displayed in his ministry, which is one of compassion and empathy. Uh, the Father also is, is heavily documented as having a heart for the oppressed. Mm-hmm. Psalm thirty four eighteen says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Psalms 10 says, He hears the desires of the afflicted and will strengthen their heart. He will incline his ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed, so that so that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. This is the posture that we should approach these topics with. I was reading an article by Esau McCauley. We talk about him often uh, on this podcast. He spoke of this us versus them dynamic like this. He said, many fear that Christians who speak out against racism want to tear down America. No, that is not true. We are the fools who believe that America might better embody its ideals for all people. Mm-hmm. We are the people of hope. We don't want destruction of any good thing. We want justice. Let us then set aside this tired drama and fear-mongering distracting us from real issues or keeping us colorblind. Yeah. The lines are stale and the plot predictable. Let's instead write a different script and possibly a more just future for everyone. Yeah. Uh, to destroy racism, guys, people have to get familiar with race. Um, that's why on this podcast, our goal is to help educate people on history, mm-hmm. tackle issues that many people have never heard of or just have misconceptions of. Yeah, we had um, one of the missionaries that we support in our church has um, got involved in the anti-sex trafficking movement. Yeah. Um, and uh, one of the things that she did when she was here is that she came and educated us. She gave yeah. an hour and a half long presentation and educated us on the real issue of sex trafficking in yeah. the world. And uh, it opened up a lot of people's eyes. Right. And because of that, people got involved in supporting ministries that help with this issue. And, yeah. and that's what we're trying to do. We're right. trying to say on this issue of race, let us get familiar with the issues around it. Let's educate ourselves Let's tackle all of this and so that we can be an agent to help. Yeah. In, in big ways or little ways, however Absolutely. God opens the door. But it's not going to be fixed by colorblindness, that's for sure. There has been probably no one who has been misappropriated more when it comes to the issue of colorblindness than MLK Jr. Um, Dr. Martin Luther King has been really accused by people um, of promoting the idea of being colorblind. I have heard so many people quote him as if he was for not not recognizing color, not addressing issues based on race. After all, they say... He was the one who had a dream that one day his four little children would live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but the content of their character. Yep. And, and, and this statement that they make yeah. when they quote him here, they wrench it out of the social and political context in which King lived, in which King was assassinated and murdered, right. and, 
and it has been misappropriated by some proponents of colorblindness. They yeah. say, look, MLK's on our side. We want colorblindness, and so did MLK. Right. Um, context, people, context. Yeah, it, it, <laughs> this view really gained popularity um, mm-hmm. in the 80s under Ronald Reagan. Affirmative action was trying mm-hmm. to gain steam. And so if you don't know what affirmative action is, you're going to have to Google it. Um, and so Ronald Reagan attempted to oppose affirmative action by arguing that it was against King's dream, yeah. by the way, which it wasn't, which we'll make right. clear in a minute. So unfortunately, this argument really caught ground in the 80s, and it has never stopped. Mm. Some people who argue against some of the anti-racist policies and positions have painted MLK in this light of colorblindness. It happened two weeks ago. Mm. Senator Ted Cruz did this very thing when he was questioning, um, at the time, Supreme Court Justice nominee, uh, Katanji Brown Jackson, he said something very, very similar, pushing the narrative that MLK was for colorblindness. On page 115, says the idea that we should pretend not to see racism is connected to the idea that we should pretend not to see color. It's called colorblindness. Skipping ahead, here's what's wrong with this. It's ridiculous. Skin color is something we all absolutely see. Skipping ahead, so to pretend not to see color is pretty convenient if you don't actually want to stamp out racism in the first place. Now, what this book argues for is the exact opposite of what Dr. King spoke about on the floor of the the Lincoln Memorial. So what I want to do is I want to spend some time in this segment breaking down this kind of argumentation. Ted Cruz said, you know, this goes directly against the dream that MLK had. <laughs> we, that colorblindness is what he was for. Right. Um, I, 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 again, with all due respect, that is just ignorance right. on his part. Yeah. At least yeah. ignorance on his right. part. Um, so I want to spend some time breaking this all down. I want to I want to talk about MLK's views. And by the way, I'm going to talk about his views by quoting MLK. I'm <laughs> going to let MLK tell you whether or not he was color aware or color blind. I'm gleaning a lot of material from a law journal that was published in the Michigan Journal of Race and Law by a man named Ronald Turner. It is titled "The Dangers of Misappropriation: hmm. Misusing Martin Luther King Jr.'s Legacy." to prove the colorblind thesis. That title says it all. That's a long title, as I guess most journal, uh, law journal articles are. On August 28, 1963, this is when Key, King gave his keynote address, the Civil Rights March in Washington, D.C. It has become known as his I Have a Dream speech. Yep. Delivering the speech at the Lincoln Memorial, King began by noting President Abraham Lincoln's signing of the Emancipation Proclamation. Here's what he said. This momentous decree, talking about the Emancipation Proclamation, came as a great beacon of light, of hope to millions of Negro slaves who have been seared in the flames of withering injustice. It came as a joyous daybreak to end the long night of their captivity. One hundred years after the signing of the proclamation, however, King stated this, that the Negro is still not free. Mm. One hundred years later, the life of the Negro is still sadly crippled by the manacles of segregation and the chains of discrimination. One hundred years later, the Negro lives on a lonely island of poverty in the midst of a vast ocean of material prosperity. One hundred years later, the Negro is still languished in the corners of American society and finds himself in exile in his own land. He believed America defaulted on its promise. Um, specifically to the American African-American life, mm. their pursuit of it 
and their liberty and their happiness. So King continued. He said, given the Negro people a bad check, that America had given the the Negro people a bad check, a check which has come back marked insufficient funds. Mm. And so we have come to cash this check, a check that will give us upon demand the riches of freedom and the security of justice. Continuing in the speech, referring to the what he called the swelting summer of Negro uh, legitimate discontent, which had gone on the summer before. King declared that there would neither be rest nor tranquility in America until blacks were granted their rights of citizenship, nor would African-Americans be satisfied as long as they were the victims of police brutality, indignity, and were subject to the injustices in America. Mm. King's I Have a Dream speech arguably reflects his color awareness, not color blindness. His recognition of the fact that African-Americans were the ones who were subjected to the most base discrimination and injustice in every aspect of their lives because they were African-Americans. So he he recognized this injustice is happening because of our color. He was race conscious. Mm. His dream and hope that black children and white children would be able to join hands was a race was race conscious both in the identification of the discrimination yep. that kept them apart mm-hmm. and the desire for the integrated future. Right. His awareness of and objection to harsh racial realities were woven into the very fabric of his message, arguably demonstrating that King was color aware, yes. not color blind. Mm. And he was pushing for color awareness, not color blindness. And to argue that point of what he was pushing We can look at other statements that he made after his I Have a Dream speech, which more clearly suggests that his call for transformative change in America was color aware. In 1965, following the Watts riots, King began to doubt that whites were willing to work for a racially just society. He started to doubt that his dream would ever be realized Mm -hmm. because white people didn't have the moral intestinal fortitude to do it. And here's what he said four years after his I Have a Dream speech at a Christmas Eve service at Ebenezer Baptist Church. He said, um, talking about his 63 I Have a Dream speech, he said, toward the end of that afternoon, I tried to talk to the nation about a dream I had had. Mm. And I must confess to you today that not long after talking about that dream, I started seeing it turn into a nightmare. The dream for Martin Luther King turned into a nightmare when four black children were killed in the bombing of Birmingham, Alabama church. Mm. The dream turned into a nightmare as he moved through the ghettos of the nation and saw his black brothers and sisters perishing on a lonely island of poverty. And he saw the nation doing nothing to grapple with the Negro's problem of poverty. When viewed in light of other statements made by King, this speech evidences his color-aware approach to eliminating the subjection of minorities in the U.S., Mm. There were other color-aware statements that I want to draw your attention to. I think uh, if you were to guess, Tyler, what was the outside of the I Have a Dream speech, probably what's the most famous thing he's known for? Definitely letters from Birmingham. Letters from a Birmingham jail. Yeah, Gets arrested, definitely. goes to jail, and he writes these letters mm-hmm. um, really critical of white Christianity more than anything on else. On napkins or toilet paper? Some of it like was that. on napkins yeah, and, and napkins, toilet paper because yeah. he, he didn't have enough paper. Yeah. Um, he expresses his disappointment in the in this in these letters not from the Ku Klux Klan not mm-hmm. from the white city council but with white moderate christians who de- who were devoted more to order than justice yeah 
Another speech, he recounted an incident during the Montgomery bus boycott in which a white person in Montgomery, Alabama, told King that Montgomery had been, I mean, just imagine Mm. this statement coming from a a a white man from Montgomery, that Montgomery had been a peaceful community that you people, speaking of blacks, have started this movement and boycott, and it has done so much to disturb race relations. And now we just don't love Negroes like we used to. Like how my voice gets country right there. Because you have that's dest- a better impression than your because, Morgan Freeman. That yeah, is because you have destroyed the harmony and the peace that we once had with race relations. That's crazy. Now imagine, yeah, wow the the willful ignorance to believe that in Montgomery, Alabama, yeah, race relations were good. Yeah, and it wasn't until King started pointing it out that things got bad. Oof. Here's how King responded: mm-hmm. Blacks had never had peace in the South. Arguing that they were seeking a positive peace with an aim at achieving complete integration in American life rather than a nominal integration, it was little more than token democracy. Here's another question. If King was colorblind, then surely he would be opposed to explicitly race-conscious and color-aware laws and policies. Yeah. Right? If he was pushing for colorblindness, then he would be against... Affirmative action. Right. He would be against giving billions of dollars to minorities who had suffered and not giving it to white people. Because you can't see them. They're the right. same as it's, everybody else. Yeah. But it's not what happens. In a 1965 interview, he was asked whether a proposal for a multi-billion dollar program that provided preferential treatment for blacks and other minorities was fair. Yeah. His response? I do indeed. Yeah. Can any fair-minded citizen deny that the Negro has been deprived. Few people reflect that two centuries that, that for two centuries the Negro was enslaved and robbed of any wages, potentially accrued wealth that would have been passed down on to his descendants. All of America's wealth today could not adequately compensate its Negroes for his centuries of exploitation and humiliation. So here's what I find interesting. Ronald Reagan in the 80s was using the argumentation of... King mm-hmm. to be against affirmative action. Yeah. When King was for it himself. Right. Accordingly, King's support for affirmative action and the color awareness of his views cannot be doubted. Mm. His response to the question of fairness of affirmative action could not be more direct or explicit. King believed that affirmative action was appropriate given the centuries of slavery and the massive theft suffered by African-Americans at the hands of those who oppressed him. So think about, talk about the misappropriation. Reagan used King's words against King Mm. in a manner in which King did not mean them Mm. and that his life and ministry did not reflect. Right. In his last presidential address to the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, King called for the Negro to be bold, to throw off the manacles of self-abnegation, and to stand up and say, I'm black and I'm beautiful. Wait, I, I thought we were for colorblindness. Right. Why are you mentioning I'm black and I'm beautiful if you're for colorblindness? Yeah. He went on to talk about black power. And he said that he meant that black power, were, that black people must lead and run their own organizations. Only black people can convey the revolutionary idea, and it's revolutionary, and it is a revolutionary idea that black people are able to do things for themselves. They must achieve self identity and self determination in order that they may have their daily needs met. Hmm. Thus, black organizations should be black led and essentially black staffed, with policy being made by black people. 
that doesn't sound colorblind no. to me. No. Many have come seeing no difference in color. They have become colorblind. But at this time and in this land, color is a factor that we should not overlook or deny. The black organizations do not need this kind of idealism, which borders on paternalism. Hmm. King embraced some of the aspirations of the black power movement, but he right. did he did not mean black superiority. Right. That's what people misunderstand when, yeah. when they hear about black power. They think that means blacks as supreme. Right. That's not what MLK and the black power movement was about. Right. It was about empowering people. Now, there black were fringe pe- groups that, sure. that, you know... Always fringe groups for everything. Always. <laughs> but... But that's not what he The was. mainstream black power movement wasn't about black superiority. Yeah. It was about empowering black people to, to reach the highest levels that they could, which would bring them equal yeah. to everybody else. Yeah. Ten days before his assassination, King suggested to the convention of the rabbinical assembly mm-hmm. that temporary segregation may be necessary to prevent the loss of black economic power which has resulted from complete integration. So he said, because we've integrated in such a way that black power could be taken away, we might need to segregate ourselves for a time. In his last speech given in Memphis, Tennessee on April 3rd, 1968. Yeah, you don't hear this when when talking about Martin Luther King. No, no, he's he's been uh, whitewashed. Yeah. King urged (laughs) blacks to anchor direct action with the power of economic withdrawal. Yeah. If fair treatment by businesses was not forthcoming, blacks should withdraw their economic support from such businesses. In other words, if you're not going to treat us fair, our money's not going here anymore. Yep. King called on blacks to support black businesses. Right. He said, take your money out of the banks downtown and deposit your money in tri-state banks. We want a bank-in movement in Memphis. Yeah. You have six or seven black insurance companies in Memphis. Take out your insurance there. We want to have an insurance-in business of insurance here in, mm. in Memphis. In many significant respects, King was absolutely race-aware and race-conscious. Yeah. Indeed, the fact that he, his particular context was the black church, mm. tells us he wasn't right. for colorblindness. Right. He went to the African-American church. Yeah. And, and you got to understand, the African-American church wasn't just um, where people worshipped only— mm. It was more than that. It was also a bulletin board to a people who own no organs of communication, mm-hmm. a credit union to those without banks, and even a kind of people's court. Wow. It was in this black church context that MLK worked from. Mm-hmm. And so here's what we need to understand about MLK. MLK was working in a particular context at a particular historical moment, and he meant to make a, a particular historical point, one very much connected to lower caste status of, of black people. Mm. So it's clear. Yeah. MLK is not for colorblindness. Right. He's never, he was never for colorblindness. Right. He didn't want colorblindness after mm-hmm. the civil rights movement. Mm. He was for being color aware. Mm. He was for giving, uh, ha- making sure that people were, were color conscious. Yeah. And given the context of this country, he understood that racial justice is only going to be stamped out if we are color aware. Mm. And that being blind to it, just like any other sin that we have to deal with in this nation, being blind to it is not the remedy. It wouldn't cause it to go away. So let's stop misappropriating MLK as one who are colorblind. If you want to make the colorblind argument, that 
is perfectly fine and you have every right to do it. Right. But let's not misappropriate MLK to make that argument. Yeah. And that, unfortunately, that's what I think a lot of people do. Um, and they've done it for about 40 Forty years, yeah, or so, and, and it absolutely. needs to stop. So, I, if you're if you're still with us, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. thank you for joining us. Thank you for um, participating. That was in, good information, in man. I, I didn't know all that. MLK, man, MLK was a little bit more radical than even some people today. I, mean, I knew he wasn't colorblind, but I, I didn't understand know to the details. Oh yeah, yeah, that was yeah. Huh. There is a reason why most white people in the '60s did not support MLK. Yeah. He, I think over 80% disapproved with MLK yeah. and the means by which he went, uh, went about things. Today we look at him and the 80% say he's a hero. <laughs> yeah. He was not then. Yeah. Um, but I wonder if he would be a hero if, if we all knew this. Uh, he would not be as beloved yeah. if, we, if people really knew all the stances that he held. Yeah. Uh, I don't think he would be below, as beloved as he is today. But I, I don't think most people know him. Uh, most white people probably don't know him for more than just the I Have a Dream speech yeah. um, and maybe the movie Selma. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and right. not much after that. So mm-hmm. uh, if, you've, if you've stayed with us, please like, subscribe, review, share, get the word Interact out. Interact with us, please. Interact with us. And uh, we are excited. Next time we will talk about the word woke. Where woke. did it come from? What does it mean? And how is it being abused? So join us next time on the Outsiders Podcast. Wait.